0: Hello, I'm Annette Badland, and you're listening to The Sirens of Audio. Shake your booty. I'm shaking mine. Hello, me one. Hello, me two. Have you heard about 43 to Wednesday's offensive comments in their latest podcast? No? No? To tell Me Too, they were having a dig at other podcasts, suggesting that we might be reviewing Big Finish stories that we'll never listen to again, Me One. <gasps> do you mean they were trying to be funny at other people's expense in 2021, Me Too? They just can't do that in this enlightened age of righteous indignation. It's an outrage, Me One. Those utter audiophobes. Next, they'll be telling us that Big Finish aren't canon, Me Too. They already have. That was on their last episode, Me One. (gasps) But... But you're not seriously telling me they're canonphobic too? They say they're not, but that can't possibly be true. Because we said they are. And they're trying to get people to sign up to their Patreon page, Me One. This is just a blatant cash grab. How dare they earn $25 a month from their podcast? When our only reward for doing a podcast is the joy of receiving a daily email from Chartable telling us our latest rankings in Romania. There is only one solution to this, me too. What's that, me one? Cancellation. We got to get them cancelled. How dare they make a podcast that's entertaining, topical and demonstrates pure genuine roll around on the floor Aussie humor, me too? You're right. This is 2021 after all. They don't agree that Big Finish is canon. They're trying to profit from providing entertainment to those who choose to subscribe. And they don't care that they hurt our feelings with their opinions. Get onto Twitter, me one. Doing it right now, me too. And make sure you get everyone in that 0.65% in fandom who think exactly like us to tag apple spotify and any other podcast service to have 43 to wednesday thrown off the internet and don't forget to say that anyone who listens to them is pure evil as well me one done me too already me one there are only five of us in that percentile me too really me one Yes, it's actually 0.0065, Me Too. Oh. Doesn't matter. Outrage will win in the end, Me One. It always does, Me Too. G'day audiophiles, you are listening to The Sirens of Audio, where we explore the universe of Doctor Who uh, in the audio media. My name is Dwayne.
1: And my name is Philip. G'day everyone. G'day Dwayne.
0: I'll bet you're looking forward to today's episode with uh, Miles Richardson. I can see I, you've been delving into your back catalogue there.
1: I have been. I've listened to lots of stuff. I mean, it's 20 years of back catalogue, so it's, um, it's a, a lot a fair of... Whack. It's Bat a fair fi- whack. Bad fifty stories.
0: Quite an interesting character who was, who was mentioned way back in 1979 in City of Death for the first time, wasn't he?
1: That was uh, that was Brax as opposed to Miles. He wasn't mentioned back in uh, City of Death. His character. The- Sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, it's hard to get them both right now. Fiction is
0: blending with reality here. But before we get into that, we'll get into that in a minute. Let's just jump down that rabbit hole once again. Yay. <laughs> Okay, so for today's rabbit hole topic, we're going to dive into the fact that there's lots of things ending all over the place. We've got the monthly range ending just next month. At the time of recording, by the time this goes out, it'll probably be this month when, uh, when the monthly range is ending. We've just had the Gallifrey Time War series, uh, although I did listen to the extras and they did talk about potentially opening that up to future producers and script editors with the characters who knows what's going to happen to that but for the moment under Scott Hancock certainly seems to be finished is is that a a slightly sad thing for you Philip or is it is it opening up brand new possibilities what would you say
1: yeah it's one of those interesting things isn't it because I mean in terms of Gallifrey I actually I went back and actually listened to the very first episode today again and it was just amazing like capturing Gary Russell's vision in terms of uh, the West Wing and Dynasty on steroids. Uh, it really does do that. And those first three seasons, I did just adore. But I loved it coming back every time because I love the characters. But there is a level at which, how often can you bring them back? I, I did note, actually, because as much as they talk about you know, it was the end for Gallifrey, Time War. Um, i realised that it, that's actually being a bit cryptic. Because it's the Time War Gallifrey has ended. It doesn't mean that like Gallifrey has ended. And so I think Big Finch were being a bit um, clever by suggesting this was the end totally, because it, of course, doesn't need to be. And In fact, they've left it, so you actually well, want to have more.
0: Yeah, Scott Hancock did use the term this particular segment of the Time War. So uh, lots of different well, stacks of history throughout the throughout the Time War, lots of different stages of it. And we're both in the TV series and with Big Finish. So, yeah, that's this particular segment of it, which really kind of only lasted the the, the 16 episodes, didn't
1: it? Yeah, and that was probably enough, to be honest. I think what's what's concerning me most with the ending is the fact that uh, the classic series, the classic companions, the classic doctors, they are still you know, hugely in my heart and they're the stories I love to hear. And with so many of these series closing down, um, you know, I can I can never get enough of Lala Ward. I can never get enough of Louise Jamison. And so, as different seems close down, I'm wondering. Well, and Narvin, don't forget Narvin. And Narvin, yeah, no, he, yeah, definitely. And yeah, Brax as well. Um, with with these ones becoming less and less around, we're losing some of these the regular work of these actors. So it's great they're going to the new series. They're great. It's great they're starting new shows up. But yeah, I guess I'm a yeah, creature of habit and nostalgia. And while we still have these actors with us, these amazing actors, I want to make sure we can still keep using them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What do, what do you think is going to happen? We've ha- had box set four of uh, the Eighth Doctor Time War series. Is that going to continue?
1: That we don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, well, there's there's a lot of stuff being kept secret. Um, you know, it was a fascinating talk with Ken Bentley, who is working on so much stuff that he couldn't tell us. But yeah, the fact that he had to open up his uh, Excel spreadsheet and reveal nothing to us. But we knew hey, he was just working on so much stuff. So it's hard to know what is coming. I mean, Robots was originally supposed to be four box sets and we know they've increased it to six. So they've obviously worked out, well, we're going to have another eight stories that they've just put in. It's that 12-month period when Livchenka's on Kaldor. And maybe they'll put in another couple. So you, know, you can never say never. And of course, yeah, it's... Big Finish is a business and it's therefore sales matter and I'm suspecting that a lot of the new stuff is a bit more popular with fans at the moment more than the older stuff but that being said they've still kept things like Benny alive I mean there's not as much Benny as I'd like but you know there's still Benny coming out so yeah we, we, we're always waiting for the, the next press announcement to see what Big Finish is going to do and it, it's interesting you know, when we, we talked to Peter Purvis he, you know, he let us know he'd done something else but we didn't know what it was and, you know, I think a couple of days after we'd spoken to it, got revealed about the fact that, you know... Happens it happens every time. It happens every... It, it does happen every time, isn't it? They the hit something's coming, they don't know when, and then we hear immediately afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, so we know there's more there, but, yeah, I just... I'm never satisfied.
0: <laughs> ah, well, you should be. Have you ever seen the back catalogue of Big Finish? Fair <laughs> dickum. That'll keep you going. If you start from scratch again, you can come back I, and talk about it again in 20 years.
1: I have it all, though.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, well, I, th- I think for me personally, as a little personal thing in relation to the monthlies, I always right from... Well, I, w- I wasn't collecting them right from the very beginning, but when I started collecting them, the specials went on, so I able to fill my back catalogue. So, And I've religiously subscribed to the monthlies. If I haven't subscribed to anything else, I've always subscribed to the monthlies. And I've put myself under a certain amount of personal pressure to keep up with those above everything else. So uh, perhaps at times I've put the monthlies ahead of things and fallen behind on a few things. So to me, I'm kind of feeling like it's going to be good not to be under that personal pressure and I'll be able to feel a bit freer to give more time to 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 other ranges, even though the monthly is one story, it's still been that regular thing that's been constant all the way through. So it's the one thing I felt that I had to listen to no matter what, and I put other things aside. For instance, Gallifrey Time War 3... Uh, I I haven't heard that yet, so I skipped that. I listened to Time War, 4, Time War Four. I know you're gonna scowl at me for doing that, Philip, but I did that. I still enjoyed. I still enjoyed it. But that's just an example of one of the things I put aside and just haven't got back to it as yet. Um, so yeah, for me, it's a it's um it's going to be a good new beginning. I think with uh, seeing the end of some of these things, particularly the monthly range for me.
1: Yeah, just looking forward to seeing what really shape takes its place.
0: Yeah, I'm
1: sure there'll be so, more. So uh, let's soon.
0: Uh, let's let's jump out of this rabbit hole. And Philip, I'm going to throw to you. Would you like to throw in a trailer for the extinction event? We're going to come back with Miles Richards in a moment, but I know you've been listening to the extinction event today, one of the Benny episodes. Shall we throw in a trailer for that?
1: Let's do that because it's it's the first. So uh, this is season two of Benny, um, but the first time Brax actually got cast and first time he met an actor. So the Extinction Event.
2: Professor Bernie Summerfield and the Extinction Event. My voice? What about my... do I know you? What's wrong with my voice? Lord Cardinal hell welcome, welcome... And Dale, chief of the children, here are your approaches, sir and Is that thunder? I think it's a ground quake. The extinction event. This cell was exclusively an item from lots of civilisations. Such as
0: died out suddenly Charming.
2: Is that what you're meant to do in a quake? Won't we be buried alive? What is it? Sorry, w- were you talking to me?
1: Throughout the long history of Doctor Who, there's never been a character as complex and morally ambiguous as Irving Braxtel. First mentioned in a throwaway line in City of Death, when Romano refers to the Braxtel collection, Brax would become a major regular feature of books during the wilderness years before becoming a central character in two major spin-offs of Big Finish, both the Bernice Summerfield and the Gallifrey Gallifrey series. When Brax moved to audio, Big Finish had to find an actor who could play a giant range across a huge amount of time in his own time stream, be commanding, friendly, devious and terrifying. Their choice, Miles Richardson, who has also gone on to play a number of other roles in other shows as well, which we hope to discuss. So, welcome, Miles. Hello. How are you both? Nice to see you. Great to have you here with us. Thank you for, for giving us some time. I'm just wanting to start with, what is it that made you want to become an actor?
3: Oh, oh well, it's, it's a family firm, really. It's, it's in the blood. Uh, my father, well, both my parents were actors. They were founding members of the Royal Shakespeare Company here in England in the early 60s. Um, I grew up in a theatre, basically, because after school, I would go to the green room at the RSC in, in Stratford, and and that was sort of where I went. I mean, it was it was seemed um, <laughs> it was almost not like it was mapped out for me, but I didn't really ever think there was any other choice. Um, uh, my brother, however, always thought it was a rather foolish silly way to earn a living and became a, a graphic designer, which uh, means he sort of works for himself. Um, um, and uh, it suits him down to the ground. Um, but for me, uh, no, it was just inevitable, really.
1: Well, I must confess, I am a bit of a fan of your father, so Sir Ian Richardson, um, probably most famous for People in Australia and probably elsewhere, too, for his role in the House of Cards as Francis Urquhart. Yes, that was beautifully timed,
3: uh, because the the opening scene of that is my father's holding a picture of of Margaret Thatcher and he puts it down and says all good things come to an end and the first airing of the show coincided with the week that Margaret Thatcher resigned and it automatically captured the nation's attention and uh, you know everyone was gripped from that very first opening scene um so it was very fortuitous in in many ways for my father and it sort of basically meant that he never had to think about what he would do next because he was constantly in demand
1: Yes, yeah, so well, I actually saw your father live on stage in The Hollow Crown. He came out to Sydney. And so I got to yes. see him live, and actually I lined up backstage. I didn't get to talk to your father. I got to talk to Diana Rigg and Derek Jacoby, <laughs> yeah. um, but missed your father because I was talking to Derek at the time.
3: Um, uh, well, but, but that yeah, was they, an amazing they production. Loved doing, they loved doing that show. I mean, they, they had various different casts. I think my father was the most consistent one. Um, but, you know, they had people like Donald Sinden in it and, you know... And, uh, anyway, was, they just loved doing it because it was like getting, as my father said, it's so nice to get all the old farts together again. And uh, they just loved interacting with each other. And it was a joy. It was like it was like a paid holiday. I mean, for example, going to Australia with the show It's like, you know, well, why not? A bit of sun. Uh, beautiful, yes. Oh, yes, we'll have to work in the evenings, but that's by neither here nor there. But there you go.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could tell that it felt like they were having a lot of fun on stage with each other with the roles they were playing, it, it was just, it was an amazing performance. Yeah, it was, yeah they, they, they had had a whale of a time. I mean, you know,
3: um, and, and Ian and Derek, uh, despite the fact that they're different styles, um, actually were very, very complementary physically with each other. They just worked beautifully together. And uh, that actually is the only time they, they had worked together, was on The Hollow Crown. And I'm surprised that they didn't, um, they weren't partnered up before because they were just magical together.
1: That your parents were happy for you to go into acting, even though they thought it was wise of you or not wise.
3: Um, well, um, I grew up. We grew up in in a genteel poverty. I think is the best way of describing it. I mean, we were constantly mortgaged to the hilt, and um, you know, we 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 never had any money when I was growing up. And my parents didn't become comfortable until they were in their forties. Uh, so it, it was. But they hid all that from me. You know, my brother and I were never short of things. Uh, we didn't think we were hard done by because we didn't know anything else, really. But we were, we were when I look back on it, <laughs> we were very poor um, for, for most of my childhood. But So they didn't discourage, but they, they, they would rather I'd probably gone into a profession where I, I had a stable financial, Yeah, <laughs> I was financially stable, uh, because it's still a struggle now. Um, especially at this current juncture in history,
1: yes, yeah, it's hit actors really hard, isn't it? Um, you, you, you got to act with your father a few times. Was that a thrill to do? Well, um, yes and no.
3: In so much as that, my father wangled me into a couple of tellies, Um, but we never actually really had any scenes with each other. I mean, when, in, um, to play the king, I'm on. He's watching me on the television set in. Um, uh, the uh, porterhouse blue i'm heckling him from way back in a dining room so we don't really have any kind of scenes where we were face to face talking to each other so i can't say that i ever did act with him <laughs> we just happened to be in the same project as it were
1: that, that lots of your pre seems to be on stage I, I see you've been in more than 70 plays yes so is theater your main passion or do you just do you like changing styles no, it, absolutely.
3: You see, the thing about um, working on film and television is, as I've discovered on a few occasions it's happened to me, the bigger the part, the easier it is. Small parts are much harder to do because you arrive, you don't know anyone, you're on the set, you do your scene, you go. Whereas if you're doing a big part and you're there consistently over the weeks, uh, actually the rhythm of it becomes much easier to, to work with. Um So I think for me, stage is much more appealing because you've got the rehearsal period to start off with, which when you're at the Royal Shakespeare Company can be as ludicrously long as 14 weeks. But at least, you know, at least it's normally about three weeks you do. And so you are very, very familiar with not only your character, but also the other people you're on stage with. So, and also you get the the wonderful feedback from the audience. When you finish the show, you get, a round of applause. Well, you don't get that on a film set. You sort of, you know, you go to the catering van and have a cup of tea, but you don't You don't get a kind of rapturous r- appreciation from a thousand people. Um, so, yes, stage is uh, my first... Off. It can be taxing when you're in a long run, when you do nine months of the same piece, eight shows a week. So you can begin to sort of look at that Wednesday matinee and think, oh, God, I really don't feel up to this today. But if you don't give it your all, then you're actually just cheating yourself. Because you know, I mean, I've worked with some actors who do take what I call take an afternoon off and just sort of wing it. And um, it's uh, it's 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 insulting to the audience. It's insulting to your fellow actors, and it's insulting more importantly to yourself. So you know, that's that's my opinion on on lazy actors. <laughs> Do you you come across many of them? I wouldn't think they'd survive for long. Um, In the olden days, people did get by, and uh, in modern days, you don't. Um, Some actors I work with, and who will remain nameless, um, who are already established names, uh, sometimes can be lazy because they figured they don't have to work so hard anymore. And that's that's, that's very insulting because a lot of the audience have come specifically to see them. And if you're not giving your all, then you really are cheating people. Mm. Um, um, but it, it doesn't happen that often. And, and having said that, I'm surprised how many well-known famous actors work their bollocks off on stage. And when they're, they're of an age when they could really just not bother. And they're rich enough not to bother anymore, but they do it because they love it. Uh, I mean, a, a prime example is the late Tim Piggott-Smith, who I worked with uh, on a place called the Char- King Charles III, which is, a, I think you had a touring version of it, came to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, with, and he was he, he was exhausted. It was an exhausting piece. And he was, you know, when he wasn't on stage, he would go home and sleep because he was so tired. But he he uh, wouldn't take a day off. He did have to take a day off because he broke his collarbone. He had to take six weeks off. And I am to be his understudy. So I know how hard the part was to do, and I had twenty years on Tim. So there's an example of, you know, actors who
1: you know just don't need to do that, but do because they love it. Two thousand three to two thousand eight, you were part of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. Um, now we haven't got a well, actually, we have got the Bell Shakespeare Company out here, which is does a couple of plays a year. What did it mean to be part of the, the Royal Shakespeare? Is that like the highest height? Of companies you can join i would
3: suggest that uh it was a kind of family legacy because my parents were in the rsc and my father was there off and on for like 15 years of his career and played virtually all the major shakespearean roles and for me it was kind of like a legacy um i would suggest that perhaps for actors now It is not the be-all and end-all that it used to be. It certainly was in the 1970s. But now most actors would rather have a television career than a stage career. And why not? Because it's much more financially secure. The RSE still don't pay the kind of money that you'd get in a West End show. Um, And also predominantly all of the work is out in what you might call the sticks and strapped upon Avon. So it's not near the kind of hub of of theatre. I think a lot of stage actors would much prefer working at the Royal National Theatre in London than working at the RSC in Stratford. Um, But having said that, having the chance to work in a repertory system, i.e. at one point we were doing eight plays in rotation, seven of which I was in, um, god it keeps your interest up because a week can go by before you do that Richard II again uh, and sometimes when you're rehearsing a new play and it can, a, a months can go by before you do that henry fourth again um parts one and two so in terms of an, as an actor it it keeps you very very interested in what you're doing uh, and that is the major advantage of the rsc uh, and also they look after you so when when you you i spent five years virtually solid with them and The drawback is when you stop working for them, you get terrible withdrawal symptoms. It must be like when somebody who works for, say, a a chartered accountancy firm, and has done for 20 years, and suddenly gets fired, or the firm goes bust and they're out of a job. And the kind of mental withdrawals they have from a situation like that, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen to act as much, because, you know, normally we're only working for somebody for nine months maximum. Or in the case of working in regional reps, only for 6 7 weeks maximum so you know we're used to chopping and changing but that was the that was a, a feeling not, not only i had but a lot of other actors who worked in a
1: long company had that uh, it was like a terrible shock when we finished <laughs> with with seven plays in your head at the same time did you ever get on stage and just think what play am i in or what's my next line
3: um, it, strange enough, I never had that problem, but I do remember I shared a dressing room with an actor called uh, Clive Wood, who was playing Henry IV. And I remember he would sit there and he's just <clears throat> going through his lines. And, and I like oh, shit. And I said, Clive, what's the matter? He said, I've just been going through Henry IV part one, and it's Henry IV part two this evening. <laughs> um, you know, so you sometimes get this uh, dichotomy. Um, and there was another actor called Jonathan Slinger, who played not only Richard Third, but all the predecessors to Richard III, so Richard of York, and then he also was playing uh, Richard II. and then when we finally got to do Henry V, um, the director said, "Could you possibly play Fluellen, Captain Fluellen, who's the Welsh captain, who never stops talking?" and and uh, Jonathan said, "I've I've I've did not stopped talking throughout this entire eight episodes eight, eight plays. Can I at least have this one off?" and um, Michael said. I don't think anyone else could play it as well as you could. And he was absolutely right. Nobody could. He was very, very funny. Because actually, the whole point about Slywellyn is it's a crashing bore. And it's a temptation to cast a crashing bore of an actor to play it. But we fortunately didn't have many crashing bores. So the best thing to do is make this boring person extremely interesting, which is what Slinger did. Um, but his head. as Somebody said that our hippocampus must have been twice the size of a normal human beings because we had so much in our heads for so so long but um and what's really interesting is I now can remember vast swathes of um the plays but weirdly enough not the principal parts I was playing but the parts that I was understudying because you obviously lock that bit of information in a different part of your head and um Michael Boyd who was the director um insisted that everyone regardless of who they were playing had to understudy As well, so we were all learning other people's parts, and I can remember all those other parts, but I can't remember a single line of my own parts. (laughs) But it's uh,
1: what 12 years ago now, I think. So not surprising. Things go. Apparently, you've done a a, hundred video voiceovers of video games in part of your career. Well, a lot
3: of it is ADR work, which is uh, when you make sounds on other people's films. And, uh, you know, because when you record a film, you know, all the people in the background have to be. They're not saying anything because, of course, you can't edit it all together. So uh, when the film is finished, they then have to put those voices in the background back on again. And sometimes you can actually make an impact on a film just by doing using a voice. And my favorite example of that is is a, a Bond film, Die Another Day. The opening shot of that, the teaser shot, is um, James Bond escaping from a a prison ship, swimming uh, in the water to the Hong Kong Yacht Club, getting out of the water in these kind of prison pyjamas with a long scraggly beard and long hair. And he walks into the foyer of the Hong Kong Yacht Club and he goes past a crusty gentleman reading a newspaper in the corner. And he goes up to the desk and the desk clerk says, ah, Mr. Bond, your usual room, sir. Now my contribution was to that was when we were in the booths, um, I said to the director, "Oh, so, oh look, I, I know what that old man's saying and he said, okay, Mars, well, go and do it. So when he walked past me, I went, he's not wearing a tie. And when you see the film, there it is. And, you know, it's just really lovely when you make contributions to something. And, and that's, that's just in a booth in a recording studio in Soho in London, you know, and, uh, that's very gratifying so yes I've done a hundred or so films um and video uh, and uh, video games um again it's the voice isn't it gentlemen it is. but also it's being that one's different because you have to think on your feet because sometimes you have to um you have to improvise um five or six minutes of dialogue in the background and you also have to try and make it not be too interesting because you don't want to distract from what the principals are doing so you've got to make small talk and try and make it boring but make it flow I think the worst I ever had is there's an actor over here called Tim Benting who's very famous because he's in, in a audio in radio series longest running radio series in history The Archers he plays a major character David Archer and we were doing a film and these two guys were watching a German homosexual porn film and so me and Tim had to do uh, German porn noises in the background, so, go, <laughs> oh, yeah, ich mein Kiefer, oh, so we're doing all this kind of stuff and we're desperately trying not to crack up because we're, and all the rest of the people in the room are all going, <laughs> trying not to make noise because it's hysterically funny that me and Tim, two middle-aged Englishmen uh, are being German porn stars. Um, yeah, so it can be quite uh, interesting at times.
0: <laughs> Philip sent me a bizarre uh, YouTube commercial. It was a commercial that you sent me, something about bubbles. Oh and yeah, yeah, that,
3: that one. I filmed. that's the last job I did. That was last November. Um, as you see, it's for three cent soda, and uh, I actually had to go to Athens to film that because we weren't being allowed to do that kind of filming over here. And I went out three days before the country went into lockdown, so it was extraordinary for fortuitous timing and uh yeah the only reason we were in Athens is because they were allowing this sort of filming to take place and the director for goodness sake he was Danish so you know the only country we could meet up together to do this advert was, was in Greece which is <laughs> all very strange but um uh, as you can see from the the video um from the advert it's a lot of fun to do and it's a it's very me it's very Irving if <laughs> Irving was going to do an advert that's what he'd do really
2: Esteemed gentlemen, members of the council, the reason we have urgently convened here today is because this here young man claims to know the secret of the most flavoursome pink grapefruit soda. He asks us not to extract the juice from the grapefruit, but I cannot even utter it. Go on, tell them, laddie. Squeeze the peel right into the soda. (laughs) (laughs) What a naive poor boy. A less (laughs) absurdo? Gentlemen, gentlemen, I would wager all my diplomas that this dullard's brain is about the same size as this grapefruit here. Don't offend the grapefruit, Professor. Furthermore, he maintains that by carbonating at maximum pressure, he can achieve. The bubbliest, crispest, and longest lasting effervescence a soda could ever have! We're the imbecile! I concur! (laughs) A complete and utter imbecile! Bubble, bubble! Hold on, there is more! This feather headed income poop maintains that his delectable sodas can make cocktails of unrivaled deliciousness. We invented Paloma! Really? Blasphemous! Bubble, bubble! Is there a doctor in the house? boy A medical doctor. Does anybody have anything to drink?
1: I do. I love you. Hep, hep. Peace, hence, unleash the bubble. Now you're coming up to your 20th anniversary at Big Finish and playing Brax. So, how, how was it that you came to, to work for Big Finish? Um, um, Weird enough, it, it
3: um, all stems from working for um, uh, Real Time Pictures, um, Keith Barnfather, who you might have come across his work. He does Doctor his spin-offs in, in uh, video dramas and um during that kind of fallow period when doctor who was off the air it was people like keith and big finish who were keeping the interest up yeah. and i think it's because i'd done a, a, a piece for him that my name was sort of out there in the kind of doctor who firmament
1: was it and i was it asked... demos Rising? yes that... yeah. and
3: yeah and and uh <clears throat> yeah that Demos rising was the first one um and I think it was because of that that uh, they, they they got me into. First of all, I, I was in a, a, a Doctor Who one, playing, of all things, Charles Darwin.
2: Doctor Who, Blood Tide. There's something in here, some sort of lizard, I think.
1: Really? He saw them.
2: The Bible tells us that this world of ours is a mere 6,000 years old by the lake El that the Lord created in six
3: days that there was but one flood Devils! with three eyes I saw them it's about the size and proportions of a man two arms, two legs they're here
2: so to my mind these fossils should not exist and now they have come back yes Yes, they have come back.
3: And they like what I did, and, and I like doing it because the great advantage of doing audio drama is you don't have to learn the lines. You don't have to put on any makeup, you don't have to put any costume on. You can arrive in your series, you can get in the booth, you can read the part, and you can go home. And you get a lovely, lovely, lovely lunch cooked by Toby, the sound technician. I'm sure you've all heard about the lovely lunches.
1: Everyone talks about the lunches. <laughs> yeah, they're fabulous. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, yeah.
3: So that's how it, it happened. And then, of course, they cast me as Irving. And what was interesting is because I knew nothing about this other world of Doctor Who. Um, I must confess, I'm not really a huge science fiction fan and I I know I'm a big fan of drama but I'm not necessarily a a sci-fi fan but what I I discovered quite early on is that with science fiction everything's possible absolutely everything is possible Um, and so as we went through uh, being Irving I suddenly discovered oh oh I'm a time lord I never knew that oh oh I'm Doctor Who's brother But no one ever told me that. So every time I did one, I I suddenly learnt something new about Irving. And then, of course, it it all went very bizarre. And there was like three Irvings going around the universe doing different things. He got quite malevolent at times, and it all became very bizarre. And I'm sure you have you had the latest um, Gallifrey.
1: yeah we both finished in the last couple of days
3: yeah well as you probably know i I don't want to put any spoilers out there but you know it's not the first time that something drastic has happened to brax um but you know i mean i've been killed off about four times i think but i've always come back um in some guise or another because of course there's so many of me out (laughs) doing different things in parallel universes so it doesn't... Uh, I never I never feel overly
1: concerned when they, 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 they destroy me somewhere or another. I was actually going to ask you, because Brax has one of the most complicated timelines I think of any character. Because as you say, he's constantly in communication with his past selves, future selves. There's different timeline ones that come in. Um, and I, I actually read an article just to try and get my head around everything. And it was, it was bigger than I had actually remembered. Um... How how much of that did you feel you needed to know, or you just got the lines of the script and you just go with what's on the page? Um,
3: It would be disingenuous of me to say that I just learn the lines, I would just read the lines out and don't worry about the plot because that's not true because you've got to understand everything. Um, I have to confess that sometimes I get scripts and I go, I really don't know what on earth is going on. But when you get to those situations, you just have to find the reality of what you're saying. Um, And once you've you know, it might not make sense, but you've got to try and make it make sense to the listening audience. So you've got to try and convey what it should mean to an audience. And um, what's confusing about Brax is that, it's not confusing, is that there, he, he is, you're right, he is very, very different. I mean, he's not the same person all the time. He can be very, very different people. So the Brax from Gallifrey is a much seriouser Brax than the Brax from Bernice. Uh, the Brax back, the from Bernice did at one point become quite malevolent and evil. But then, you know, we discussed it and uh, they decided to pare back this huge, it'd become far too large, the Bernice stories. it become, there was too many characters. So they trimmed them all back and just left the basic ones, the ones they wanted to keep. One of whom I'm glad to say was Brax. And it became the Brax that we now have <clears throat> with Bernice Summerfield who's much kinder, softer, smoother, fluffier, funnier, which is the Brax that I like uh, out of all of them. Um, and it, yeah, so that's the growth period. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, I did speak to Scott. Scott has now finished um, producing the Gala Phrase. Um, And Scott's a, a good egg. And he said, oh, I wouldn't worry, Miles, you know, Brax will never disappear he'll always come back somewhere at some point sometime so I'm waiting for the call but I do know because of I don't you're probably aware that they've become extraordinarily popular the big Finnish audio dramas and so actually the people are falling over themselves to do them now which they which is very nice but it also means they have a huge backlog of stuff they have to do. And I had actually a, a very good script um, that a friend of mine had written, which actually got produced by the BBC on radio. But I bit, I put it forward to Big Finish for the for their consideration. They said, um, Miles, we, we've got so much stuff. We just haven't got room for this. I'm so sorry. So, you know, they are the are victims of their own success in many ways.
0: Uh, in terms of um, the acting style in uh, studio as opposed to on the stage, um, I I did hear on the extras that you're a very physical actor, even within the sound booth. So yeah. how important how important is that uh, in in terms of getting your your part across?
3: Well, I I, I always work standing up because you can, I think you can hear when people are sitting down. Even when I'm supposed to be sitting down, <laughs> I'm standing up because you just have to free up, you know, your your energy. I mean, I remember going. This is really weird. I'm going from a tangent, but I went to see an opera don giovanni uh before it all everything shut down and there was one point when the actor the the, sorry i should say the singer playing don giovanni was rolling around on the floor but singing at the same time and i thought my god that is so extraordinary that he can actually roll around on the floor and still produce this extraordinary sound and of course, I just suddenly thought, well, yeah, that's the power of your diaphragm and your and and your your rib control. And I figured, you know, that's that's exactly sort of what I do. That when I'm in the booth, I am giving it the power and energy that that voice needs at, if in that situation. And um, if you you can't do that sitting down. And yeah, sometimes it can be very exhausting, even though you're standing up in a booth. You are not even running around or, but you know, it it requires that level of effort otherwise again you're not you're not um portraying the the drama of the situation
0: in terms of um uh the the past year in particular but there has for some time been periods where scheduling has dictated that you do your parts all separately um was that happening happening more recently um as opposed to to the past and what do you prefer
3: you you might find this um hard to believe um but there are a couple of episodes of uh, both Bernice and Gallifrey where it was entirely done with just me and Scott Hancock reading all the other parts. And that's purely down to scheduling. Um, There was one occasion where my car broke down. I was on tour, I was doing a play. My car broke down, I couldn't get to the studio. So he arranged for me to meet up with Scott in another studio and I played the entire thing with him. And that has happened a couple of times. And that happens actually more often than you know, and i would um I would dispute that any audience member who could tell me which one of those episodes I was just me and Scott rather than me with the other actors. Um, in terms of what I prefer. Well, Scott actually said he preferred it when it's just me and him because it gets done a lot quicker <laughs> because there's not all the kind of joyous gossip that goes on because what you probably get from the extras is you get you know, the fact that we're all constantly having chats all the way through the recording process because we all have a good laugh. We all chat away. We all gossip like crazy. We all catch up with each other. Um, I was intrigued in, to hear on the, the extras for... Uh, The last Gallifrey that Scott, not Scott, um, Sean Carlson was lamenting the fact that we hadn't seen each other for about eight years. And we haven't, which is a real shame because Sean and I used to get on like a house on fire. We were such good mates, despite the fact we're playing characters who hated each other. But we got on so well. Um, And, you know, I feel, yeah, I miss I miss Sean a lot. We haven't seen each other for ages. it's a real shame. I'm going to have to have a word with with, uh, whoever's producing the next one. They they get us in the same room again because it's much more fun when we're together.
1: I think it's one of the things that Big Finish used to keep hidden was the fact that actors weren't in the same place. I think they wanted it to look like it wasn't the case, but they've actually become quite proud of it. I think in the last couple of years, realising that we can make drama anywhere, anytime, with anyone, um, and we've got the technology to do it. and they've, They've obviously been doing it for a very long time, it was kept secret for a long time. I, th- I think it's just because
3: um, maybe you, you, you as an audience members would think of it differently if you you thought we weren't actually talking to each other. Um, but um, yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 I don't think I, I, it's down to how well the producer gives the performance. And people like Scott, people like Gary, know us well enough now that they can give. A rough, uh, a rough approximation of the performance that the other person's giving you know even if it's somebody you know even if it's somebody who's completely different from Scott say Lala Ward you know um, he can do a very good impersonation Louise Jameson he's surprisingly good impersonation um that, that gives you the, the feel of, of what you're uh what you you're, you're coming up and some actors of course I know so well I mean like Lisa Bowman and I have known each other for 30 odd years and so I know her so well that Scott doesn't even have to try. I know how she'd a line. So, you know, it makes it makes life very easy in some respects. Yep.
1: I was listening to your first episode on Bernice with Lisa in the last couple of days, the Extinction Event, and you and her just seemed to have this immediate rapport. So ha- had you worked together before then? No, we never had worked together. We knew each other socially. Because,
3: I mean, Lisa, uh, uh, if you've interviewed her, or if, when you do interview her, Lisa knows everybody. I mean, she's one of those people who just knows everybody um she's she's very gregarious and um we yeah we, we just knew each other socially for such a long long time um and so we, we we naturally fell into each other's way of thinking quite easily but also the great thing about the relationship between Bernice and Brax is that it, it's a great sparring relationship there's a lot of wit to be had from both characters though um Sometimes, though Lisa did think at one point they were making her a little bit old womanish. I think was the word she used, a bit of a harridan, as opposed to wit. Um, and I think that the writers took that on board, board and smoothed some of those rough edges off a little bit. Um, but she's still the the freewheeling, drinking,
1: hard nosed um, investigator that she always has been. Has the shape of the whole profession changed a lot more recently? I mean, with theatre and plays, you go in, you have a rehearsal period of three weeks to, did you say 14? That's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> you have this rehearsal period where you get to know each other, you get to try things out. With, with the audios, it's in the studio, you have to hit your mark almost immediately. How do you, is it just the fact that you're professionals, that you can just do it, make it work so seamlessly, or what, what is the process to make sure you actually relate so strongly, so well, so quickly? Well, it, it really is just dying to
3: know your character. Um, I was very pleased when I found out that the writers, and there are quite a number of different writers, but they all now write, when they write Braxiotel, they write with me in mind. Because what happened to begin with is I would say, do you mind if I just change this? Do you mind if I just say that? Do you mind if I do this? And they go, oh, yeah, all right." And they liked what I was improvising. And so now they they write that. So a lot of Brax actually is is part and parcel of my invention. I mean, his terrible jokes, his wry humour, his kind of slightly comic villainy uh, is is my contribution to Brax. But now, of course, the writers have taken that contribution and and uh, do it for me. So actually, I find now that I don't have to do so much of that. But going back to your original question, um, it's if, it's. People, you know, they cast you in your character because they think you are going to... I mean, if, if in stage and theatre now, if they want a one-legged Welshman, they'll find a one-legged Welshman. You know, they don't need to strap your leg up and say, could you do a Welsh accent? You know, they cast to type much more. It's very hard now to be able to play a character because they'll just cast a character to begin with. Um, and in rehearsal, of course... Uh, You know, sometimes that's half the job of of being in rehearsal is to get to know your fellow actors. But of course, in in the the, the audio dramas, you don't get that opportunity. But then what you've got to hang on to is your character. And I know Irving very well now. So I know how he would interact with a complete stranger. So I don't need to know the other actors that well. And, you know, the last one I did, I didn't know half of them and didn't matter. (laughs)
0: Were you aware that in the early days of the Bernice Summerfield audio plays that there was an ongoing story arc that sort of weaved its way between the audios and then novels were were continuing the story and then it dipped back into the audios. Were you being updated with um the the continuing story at the time, do you recall?
3: Um Um to be I'd be perfectly honest with you, gentlemen, I haven't read any of the books. Um and the backstory to Irving is so complicated and so convoluted that uh, even the writers lost track of it at times. And I personally just always just look at the individual drama that I'm working on and see what happens with that. And sometimes there's references to things that have happened that I know nothing about. But, you know, it's a bit like being a barrister. You don't necessarily... Need if you're playing a barrister you don't need to know how to be a barrister you don't need to have gone to law college to 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 learn the ins and outs of law to be able to play a barrister on stage you just need to know the lines and the story and and I would say that playing Irving is is very much the same I don't need to know everything in fact it would would take me far too long to know everything about Irving I just need to know what is specifically happening to Irving in that particular story that's all I need that might be considered lazy but it's not I don't think it. It, it because I just know the character so well now I don't need to know everything
1: yep is there, is there more stuff you'd like to do with that character or are you just waiting to see where it goes from here um, I would like to continue being Irving
3: Braxitel this is not up to me of course this is up to the writers the producers I love playing him and, you know, as an actor of, of nearly 40 years experience, the best feedback I've ever received comes from doing these audio dramas. I've been in countless West End shows. I've done, RSC, RSC, I've done films, tellys. but you know what? The fan base for Big Finish is quite extraordinary. Um, and it, it's very heartwarming to have the, this extraordinary feedback. And it's partly to do with Irving. It's partly to do with me being Irving. It's but it's more importantly the, the, the that extraordinary fan base out there, and uh, I, I just I I'm, I feel very humbled by the the uh, affection that uh, Brax is held in held in, um, and yeah, that's why I'm going to carry on playing it, basically because I, I get the I get adoration, and it's not really for me, it's for Irving Braxiatel oh, the bastard. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I, I can't imagine another voice playing Irving. Like, as soon, as soon as you came, started playing him, that was the voice. And, you, you, yeah, it's it's so clearly you. Yeah, it, it's, um. well, um,
3: thank you for that. It is, it is yeah, uh, like I said, they're now writing for me. I have to confess, the last Gallifrey I did, the one that's just come out, um, I had some temporary dental work in, and, and my, my, my speech is a bit slushy because I've got bad teeth. Uh, at that point, so I'm hopefully... <laughs> next time, I won't be so slushy, um, because I did I did hear that I was sounding a bit w- weird on
1: the audio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I noticed, but there you go. Um, now you, in 2013, you started playing a number of roles in Dorian Gray. Yes. Um, so is that because Scott Hancock had been working with you on Gallifrey and wanted to bring you across with him? Um, I think so, and also, um, of course... Uh, Alex
3: and I again as soon as we met we immediately got on really well together I mean really really well another actor who just it's just a joy to be in the room with and I think it was Alex who said can we get Miles back here to do something which is why when we did the real Dorian Gray the actual story he got me into play um, Henry Wooden who who I'd already played on stage so it it was like falling off log for me um, and also when he did his Hamlet, he got me into to play Claudius, which I'm really grateful for because Claudius is a part that I've hankered after uh, for years. So he gave me an opportunity to play a part, uh, albeit in a booth rather than on a stage that I've always wanted to play. So, you, you know, that that's sort of, I think it's Alex's uh, input that got me into the uh, the the, uh, the Dorian Gray's. It's who and what, great, and what, great, what great, great dramas they are too, aren't they? They're really good. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions.
2: Lord Henry Wotton, Mr. Dorian Gray. How do you do? You know, it's funny. Where I go
3: these days, yours is the name I hear. People are staring at me, Harry. I don't like it. Well, of course they're staring at you. But why? Because you are Dorian Gray. You have a wonderfully beautiful face, and beauty is a form of genius. Oh, don't, don't, don't frown what the gods give. They can take away very quickly. Trust me, Mr. Gray. Youth is the only thing worth having. Youth is the only thing worth having. When I find I am getting old, I shall
2: kill myself. Has Basil shown you this portrait yet? Not yet, no. It really is his best work, you know. It's very odd. What is? This picture. Simply having it there in my studio. The, the way it looks at me. As if it's judging me.
3: <laughs> you believe your picture
2: of me judges you? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and it sees through me as if putting my heart beneath a microscope, and what does it see? Everything, Dorian it sees everything
1: The Dorian Grace is an amazing series, which yeah took yeah, very different take on the whole thing, and yeah it's good to have side mm. side adventures like that. I was actually going to ask you about Hamlet um I mean sadly, so far, Big fish have only done two. Shakespeare productions and the Hamlet one was just a masterpiece in terms of what it produced. Um the cast, I mean Alex Vlahos was just an amazing Hamlet. Um mm. but but anyway talking about about you know your, your as Claudius. Um, so that's the first time you played Claudius? Yeah,
3: well, believe it or not, yes. <laughs> um I'm I mean I've not really been old enough, but I am I'm the right age now to play Claudius. Um, you know, it's just one of those parts that I've I've always because you know even when i was a young actor i knew that i was never going to be a hamlet i was never going to that's not my kind of part because i'm i'm just too um what's the word i'm trying to look for? Um, i'm too much of um, a king actor they call them in france not necessarily the best actor on stage but the actor who plays authority and you know hamlet is too troubled for me to play whereas claudius is a kind of part that i'm readily a. Uh, uh, up to do I can do that you know it's a bit like in uh, Romeo and Juliet I was never going to be Romeo I played Mercutio I played Benvolio I played Paris I played the Duke oh um, god I've done that place so many times um <laughs> but I there's no way that I was ever going to be a Romeo even when I was in my 20s was I going to be playing that part so yeah Claudius is a, a part that um and by the way I'm waiting now to play uh Lord Capulet because I love that part I really want to play him um, even though i 've done the play about five times um so yeah it 's about down to the kind of actor that you are um so yeah so i 've knocked off knocked off Claudius now I can tick that box oh, even yeah. if i wasn 't in a costume
1: there. i think you, you need you needed it in costume i think the thing, the thing about claudius and your, and your actually i was once again listed fairly recently your interpretation of Claudius was Claudius is by far the better king. I mean, you, can, you imagine, oh, can you imagine Hamlet being king? He would be so pathetic. Like, you, you wouldn't want him to rule. The trouble is how Claudius got there. But in, 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 yeah. in, in every other way, he's by far the best king for the land. Oh, well,
3: this is, this is what Shakespeare intimates. I mean, he's, he's not a fool, Shakespeare. He, he, he knows who's the proper who should be king, and it's Claudius. Um, and yeah, and it's a real tragedy that actually Denmark goes down the drain because of Hamlet's bugging everyone up. And it, you know, and Fortinbrass comes in and takes over. Oh, great, just what we need. Bloody foreign Italian running the country. <laughs> um, so you know, it, it's a it, it's it's a uh, but I yeah, I, you're right. I, I listened to it um when I got it, I thought because you know, they've done Hamlet audio on the BBC and they it there's quite a few versions out there. But it was really good. I was so surprised just how good it was. Um I was very, very impressed. And I think that uh, Big Finish should be proud of having produced it, even though it was Alex who bullied them into it. But, you know, why not? My hour is almost come when
2: I, to sulphurous and tormenting flames, must render up myself. Alas, poor ghost! Pity me not, but lend thy serious hearing to what I shall unfold. Oh, Speak! I am bound to hear. So art thou to revenge when thou shalt hear. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Hamlet. Do not forget, this visitation is but to whet thy almost blunted purpose. But, look, amazement on thy mother sits. Speak to her, Hamlet. Come, come, you answer with an idle tongue. Go, go, you question with a wicked tongue. Have you forgot me? No, by the rude, not so. You are the queen, your husband's brother's wife. And, would it were not so, you are my mother. Laertes, was your father dear to you? Are you like a painting of a sorrow, a face without a heart? Why ask you this? Not that I think you did not love your father, but that I know love is begun by time, and that I see in passage of proof time qualifies the spark and fire of it. I'll be your foil, Laertes. In mine ignorance, your skill shall, like a star in the darkest night, stick fiery off indeed. Ha! <laughs> Say you so? Come on! What? <laughs> no! <laughs> Big finish. We love stories. Remember me.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so, it was was all the cast actually able to be in the theatre... Sorry, in the theatre, in the booth that day? Were you...
3: Yeah. Yes, we were all we were all on site for that one, um, and in many ways, I think perhaps it would have been difficult not to. I mean, even though that, of course, there are a lot of monologues from Hamlet, uh, and they are monologues, not soliloquies, because they're in blank verse. They're not. They're not in verse. They're in. They're in, they're, 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 they're not rhyming couplets. It's blank verse. So you, you know, they are monologues rather than soliloquies. So. You, even though there was that was the case you, you still needed i think the background energy of all the other people in, in the in the in the room somehow it's a it's a lonely and crowded play Hamlet you know it's about solitariness in a crowded place there's something claustrophobic about Hamlet
1: yep yeah. um so as you don't there's nothing else coming up at the moment that you know of with big finish that you can talk about
3: they're absolutely nothing. I do know when I spoke to Scott um, when we recorded The Last Gallifrey that they've got three years' worth of stuff in in the can already because, you know, they they, they can't... we would be foolish to release all of them all at once. So they've got, like, three years' worth of stuff that is already recorded. Obviously, under this... Uh, which is great because under these, these current situations, people can't go and record um well you can but it's very difficult um so yeah it's a good thing that big finish have got this backlog of material so i've no idea when they're going to be opening things up again i mean i suspect that things will be loose enough by the summer that things can start happening again i certainly have got jobs coming up um in the next couple of months which obviously they'll be socially distancing but you know still making films um, they're, they're planning to do the play I was going to be in last year. Start the rehearsal at the end of April. Um, hopefully, open at the end of May. But we'll wait and see. You know, um, let's. I,
1: I don't count my chickens till I'm in the costume and in, in the wings for, for jobs. <laughs> sometimes. So, what do you have? What do you have coming up? Are you have to say what? What is it? Theater work or other things? Is, well, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, there's um, role play work, which
3: um, you can socially distance quite easily um, for um, a big project here, HS2. Um, So it's a lot easier to have live actors in a room because then you can answer questions in character. So there's that, that starts next week. Um, The play I was going to do is the wonderful old um, war horse, Angatha Christie's A Witness for the Prosecution, which is going on in London. I was was scheduled to start that April of last year and now we're going to start at April of this year and there's a film which I got a couple of days on in may uh which I can't tell you about <laughs> okay but there you go but that you know i mean and last year despite everything i had five jobs granted those five jobs only took about seven days of my year but that's five jobs more than a lot of my friends had um you know it's been really bad for some people uh but uh, yeah so it's been it's been um it's been gratifyingly good
1: for me, uh, despite everything. Well, uh, so Dwayne, was there anything else you wanted to ask?
0: Well, I was just going to say that you and I are going to start our campaign for a uh, uh, a Brax and Narvin spin-off box set now, aren't we? Definitely. That
3: would be that would be great. I mean, I think you know perhaps the scenario that. Brax and Narvan have gone into a TARDIS and oh, by accident they're in the same TARDIS and then the TARDIS spins off into another universe and they're stuck. It'd be like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> or, or, or or more like Walker and Wise, actually. Um, sort of w- working together uh, in a really tetchy way to solve major
1: universal problems. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd love it. See what happens. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time, Miles. Really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for what you've brought to Big Finish, as I said, coming up to 20 years, which is a pretty huge milestone for working with one company. Um, 50 productions, um, and that's aside from everything else, yeah. Often you keep popping up. I was watching The Crown recently. You know, suddenly you're on my TV screen in The Crown, yeah. and so um, yeah.
3: It, I, I had um, I didn't realise at the time, but I had pneumonia when I filmed. That. Oh, <laughs> I wondered why I was I was wondering why I was a bit sort of woozy, woo, 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 woozy. and then I ended up in hospital <laughs> two days later. Yeah.
1: Wow, well, well, I'm glad you survived that. Okay, at least
3: before before you go, I would just like to say a big thank you to all those big Finnish fans out there. Uh, because, you know, you make the whole experience of doing these audio dramas. It's more than just the job. It's a pleasure because of the, the tremendous feedback that, that we all get from all those people out there who just listen to the audios and love them and, uh, and take the time to let us know how much they love them. I think it's great.
1: Well, we, we certainly love the work you've done. We thank you so much for your time. That's been my pleasure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Bye. Goodbye.
2: Hear your Lord President, your father, as you make this great sacrifice. From Big Finish Productions, Gallifrey Time War, Volume 4. When two mighty armies bend the constellations to become their battlefields, a warrior must decide. We tried to turn back the tide, but failed. Our friends have been taken, one by one. So what is left for us to do? Run? Hide? It does not sit well with a warrior to run. But sometimes it is the only choice. Or we can resist.
1: But what of the lost, those who fall in battle? Are they condemned to rise time and time again? To take arms against an enemy who never rests?
2: History is written by the winners. In a time war, that history can be rewritten by the losers. No one's truly gone until they're gone from memory. Farewell, my friends. Big Finish. We love stories.
0: So that was an absolutely fantastic chat we had with Miles Richardson. Thank you very much for uh, organising that, Philip. It was wonderful. And you know what? We're going to talk about some recommendations now to end off the show. And I think it might be your turn.
1: Yes, because it's always my turn. Thank you, Dwayne. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm going to actually recommend something by Miles. And um, one of the things that uh, we saw that Miles has a huge Shakespeare um, career. Uh, And for Big Finish, he actually came in to play uh, Claudius in Hamlet. So, sadly, Big Finish has only done two Shakespeare productions so far. Both of them are just amazing. If you, you, even if you don't like Shakespeare, get them and have a listen to them, because they're amazing. But I'm going to recommend Hamlet. Um, You get to hear Miles Richardson play the evil uh, stepfather um, of Hamlet, and all the all the cast are magnificent. So it's got um, ah the actor from Dorian Gray I've lost lost it. It was in my head a moment ago. Um,
0: Alexander Vlahos.
1: Yes, thank you, Alexander Vlahos. Isn't it? Um, Terry Malloy plays Polonius. Um, it's it's full of amazing Doctor Who cast people um, and big finish people. Great actors, really strutting their stuff.
0: What about you, awesome. Dren? Well, um I, my recommendation is also uh in a roundabout way um indirectly uh Miles Richardson base because I was watching on Amazon there's a film version of Peterloo uh which I was watching and Miles had uh, had a part in that. Um so if you, you you can catch that movie on uh Amazon Prime, it's a very very long film but very interesting nonetheless. But that made me turn to the Peterloo Massacre, which was a fifth Doctor adventure from a few years back, written by Paul Mars, uh, featuring the fifth Doctor Tegan, uh, and who else was in it? Was it Turlow and Nyssa? I think it was Turlow and Nissa. No, was
1: it was N- just, just, and uh, ju- just Nyssa
0: Tegan. Just Nissa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Shows, shows how closely I was listening to it. But anyway, I, a pure historical, um, we were talking about it recently on a show that we did with, um, with Ross Aitken from uh, Gallifrey's Most Wanted. We had him on the show and he was talking about uh, historicals and that is a, a pure historical. Not that there's too many of them around, but this was a, a great one. It's always good to visit, or revisit. So my recommendation is the Peterloo Massacre.
2: The navigational systems are malfunctioning due to traveling backwards through decades of carboniferous emissions! Yes, it appears your girl doesn't much care for the Industrial Revolution! So you're saying we got lost in the smog? some grim places before, but this is terrible. It's 1819, Doctor. Great challenges lie ahead. It'll be like nothing this city has ever seen before. 1819, 1819, come on, Doctor, think. Why does that year fill you with dread? Someone's got to stand up and tell the truth. My friend's into the midst of a disaster. What are you talking about, It's August the 15th, 1819. We're in Manchester. So? We're on the eve of the darkest day in this city's history. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's a great choice. I think the Fifth Doctor and historicals just go so well together. I think mm. he has done quite a few in Big Finish range and it's just his doctor just suits them.
0: Good choice, Dwayne. Excellent. So that's our show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you send us lots of lovely feedback and uh, join our Facebook group. Um, we Just search for The Sirens of Audio on Facebook. Um, you'll find us there. Uh, we'd love to engage with you. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube as well. We've got some videos going up. And uh, once again, thanks for uh, for listening or thanks for watching. Thank you Philip for coming on and uh, and sharing this episode with me. It's been great.
1: Been wonderful. Thanks Dwayne. Have a good week.
0: Until next time. Ta ta. You have been listening to the Sirens of Audio episode 49, The Many Lives of Irving Braxiatel, with special guest Miles Richardson and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by Husky by the Geek. You'll find his video of the theme tune on his YouTube channel. Rate, review, subscribe and love us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or whichever multidimensional version of a podcast app you use. Send your emails to sirensofaudio at gmail.com and we'll read them when we return from the AXIS and our website is at sirensofaudio.com our Twitter handle is at Audio Sirens and you can find us on Facebook by searching for The Sirens of Audio. And if you too want to use the name Benny in an uplifting way as opposed to a method of torture based on a slightly unpopular TV episode of Doctor Who, keep listening to lots of wonderful audio drama. Because audio drama...
2: Raw.